And so I hope you're looking forward to that. Well, my name is Matt Ritchie, and I am the Next Gen Pastor, and it's my honor to share with you this morning. And uh, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. And as you're turning there, I, I want to kind of apologize for starting off a little bit heavy. Um, usually I try to start off with something a little bit light and then go from there. But um, I want to give you three scenarios and they're hard to swallow. They're hard to look at. They're hard to examine because they're mountains. They're mountains that we don't know what to do with. And, but we're talking about faith. And I believe that it's important that we understand that there's this in-between season that we often find ourselves in. And how are we to respond? So let me give you these three scenarios. So the first one is I know of a family today, last year, or maybe even... Um, the year before, they received the news that there was cancer. And I know that that's not anything lost on, on us. Maybe this is even um, something that's touched you and your family or friends and loved ones, but um, that's a scary word. And the news for this particular family was not good. It was stage four, it was terminal. And right from the outset, the doctors said that there's not gonna be any hope of a cure outside of a miracle, we're, we're gonna do treatment, but this is more about prolonging life. This is not about beating cancer. And that's like the worst. And so this family is walking through treatment. They're walking through good days and bad days. It has changed their life profoundly, as you can imagine. It, it is, now I'm, I'm grateful to say that they are leaning into the Lord. They're leaning on him. And it's kind of incredible to watch through social media how inspiring um, to see their faith is inspiring. Um, their holidays are gonna be heavier. They're gonna be different. They're savoring the moments they have together because they realize that outside of a miracle, time is limited. Uh, there's another scenario I want to give to you now. I don't know this person. In fact, it's, it was a clip I saw on social media, YouTube, something like that. And I don't know how these things pop up on your feed, but there was um, a young boy. He was about three, maybe four years old, and he was sitting in the floor of his living room, and he was crying. He was upset. Now, he wasn't hurt or injured, and he wasn't upset that somebody had taken his toys or anything like that, but he was frustrated, and a young mother came into the picture and she, you could almost feel it through her body language that she wanted to melt into a puddle of tears, but she was pushing that aside to meet her son where he was because the challenge was that her son, her toddler was autistic and he, was, he could not communicate his needs or his desires to her. It's my understanding that he only knew about a hundred words at the time. And so she was sitting down on the floor making hand gestures and asking questions and trying to, with loving, tender tones, draw out of him um, what he needed, what he was trying to say. But I couldn't help but watch that clip and realize that this is gonna be a lifelong challenge for her, for her son, for their family. There's a third scenario where... Um, these people are actually quite close to me um, for at least 20 years. They've prayed for a wayward child who, by all accounts, raised 
to love God and to know the difference between right and wrong, but has walked away and is living um, a life of indulgence, a life of, of sin, a life of brokenness, um, struggling with issues of confusion, identity, all, all the things, and lives under a cloud of depression and anxiety, good days, bad days, just the temporary, and it's breaking their hearts. And they see what his need really is, and that's to find his identity in Christ, to find freedom and salvation in Christ. And they've been praying for that. But to this point, as I stand here this morning, he's still lost. He's still far from God. And we look at scenarios like this and we could list a host of others of difficulties and mountains and circumstances and, and we could list areas of brokenness and we look at these things and we say, what are we to do? God, you must intervene. You need to work. And there's this passage that we're gonna read in Hebrews chapter 11. And here's my question. When we're in the moment between the trust, we, we, we have these moments where we say, God, I trust you, but we haven't seen the move of God. There's often a season, season of waiting. So what are we to do in the midst of that? Hebrews 11 is sometimes called the, the faith chapter. Um, there's a several people, several men listed in this chapter that we would even, uh, some have called them, they've reached the hall of faith. It's not the hall of fame, it's the hall of faith because they did some things. They had extraordinary faith and difficulty. We have Abel listed, we have Enoch listed, we have Noah, Abraham, Jacob, some of these patriarchs, these men of faith. But down in verse 13, we're going to pick up reading there, and it, and it kind of gives a brief summary of these men's lives, and then it says this in verse 13. These all died in faith. They had faith, but they died not having received the things promised. One good example of this is Abraham. God had promised that after him would come a great nation, but he never saw the nation of Israel. He never saw that. He never saw the Messiah. He never saw Jesus. He never saw... He didn't receive, he didn't see what was promised, but he still trusted. And it goes on, it says, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. And just to summarize and to kind of boil this down to its basic meaning, what it's saying is that these men, these people, they, they did not receive, they did not see everything that was promised by God, but they looked, they lived for heaven. They lived with an eternal perspective. They looked to the future and they kept the faith. They kept their trust in God, not because of what they were experiencing right then in that moment, but because they saw something, they believed in something that was yet to come. They had an eternal perspective. But for us practically between the moment of faith, if we emulate that same faith and we emulate that trust in God, and we say, God, I trust you, but I don't see it. What are we to do? What are, how are we to respond? And if we're not careful or if we are, if, if we're just, if we don't think about it, in the moment between faith and heaven, it's easy for doubts to creep into our, mind, into our minds. We see all the pain, we see the trouble, 
We ask God for help, but we don't see it. And these kinds of questions can begin to dominate our thinking. These are just a few that I think may relate. We might be tempted to think there's something wrong with me. Often if um, the enemy is so quick to remind us of our past, isn't he? And you say, remember when, and remember what you said, remember what you did. And we have a trouble, we have a, a, a circumstance, we have a difficulty, and we say, God, I need your help. And it doesn't, he doesn't show up. He doesn't give us the answer right then or in the way that we are looking for. And then we start to think, well, it's, there's something wrong with me. If I wouldn't have done blank, then God would work in my life. There's another kind of doubt. There's another kind of doubt that can creep in and say, well, there must be something wrong with my faith. Maybe it's not something I did in my past, but maybe I'm not being a Christian right. Maybe I'm not believing right. Maybe I'm not, I just don't have enough faith. And so, yeah, I've prayed and, I've, and I've, I've sought God and I've asked him for help, but I can kind of feel these doubts like I'm not sure what is gonna happen. And so there must be something wrong with my faith. And maybe this is something tied to maybe if you've had a legalistic past where you've been raised in a way to where you have to earn your way into God's good favor. You have to perform rightly and, and, and otherwise he will not bless you. And so there's this sense of, well, I have to fix my faith. I have to kind of clean myself up. I have to perform rightly before God before he'll bless me. Or maybe you by this idea, maybe you struggle with this thought, maybe if, if God isn't fixing my circumstances, if he isn't intervening in my situation, then there must be something wrong with him. Maybe he's the one who doesn't care. Maybe he's the one who's distant. Maybe he doesn't even know what's going on. Maybe he's not all powerful. Maybe he can't do anything about it. And maybe he's not even there. Maybe there's something wrong with God. These are the kinds of doubts that are seeds for some poor assumptions. When we, when we start to have these thoughts and these doubts, we can start to make some poor assumptions. Poor assumption number one, these aren't in your notes, but I think these are bad things that are untrue that we can begin to think. We can say, well, I think that good is only what is um, easy and comfortable. If it's comfortable and easy for me, it's good. If it's difficult and painful, then it must be bad. And we intellectually know that's not true, but this is sometimes how we operate. If it's hard, it must be bad. It must be evil. If it's good and comfortable, or if it's easy and comfortable, then it must be good. I think there's another assumption that we can make where we can say, <clears throat> God's goodness is limited to my experience, my lifetime. If he's gonna do something good, if he's gonna bless, then I need to see it. It needs to be tangible and experienced now, soon. And I think that's a, that's a poor assumption because it's obvious that sometimes there can be difficulty today and there, it can lead to good tomorrow. But often we wanna put God's goodness in a box and say it has to happen within my time frame. If I don't see it, he's not good. A third assumption I believe we can make is, <laughs> this is probably the one that we hopefully recognize is not true is that we understand what is ultimately good. We are the ones who we are the ones who are the true arbiters of justice and goodness and we have a complete and deep understanding of what is good for me, what is good for those around me, what is good for the world. I alone have the right mindset. 
And when we let doubts and poor assumptions kind of creep in, the logical path can lead to this statement. If bad things happen to me, God must not be all loving, all good, and all powerful. If bad things happen to me, or maybe they just happen in the world, God must not be all loving, all good, and all powerful. Because if he was all good, all loving, and all powerful, he would not allow bad things to happen. This is probably the number one reason why the, there is skepticism when it comes to the Christian faith. When, and whenever somebody struggles with the concept of the Christian faith, they, this can be a big barrier for them to get over, for us to get over, because pain is tangible, it's real. But I wanna give you some possible truths. And a few weeks ago, I talked about how it's important to think rightly about not only God, but ourselves. And changing our thinking is difficult, but I wanna give you some other possibilities to help us combat these doubts. Possibility number one, what is painful and difficult can actually be good for me. Anybody been to the dentist? Anybody been to the doctor? Nobody wants to go to the dentist. It's often painful, apology to all the dentists in the room, okay? I am so thankful for people who work in that field. If you've ever had tooth issues, few things can be more debilitating and painful. And when you need relief, you will go to a dentist. But nobody talks about, nobody's just like looking forward to, yay, I get to. Now, there's a children's dentist that my kids love to to go to. They watch movies. My girls get their nails painted. They love it. I'm like... Where's this for adults? Like we need something, okay? Just a hint out, throw it out there to the dentist. But pain, we understand pain is sometimes necessary for healing. Pain is sometimes necessary for blessing. Something difficult today is necessary for a reward tomorrow. Parents, we get this. We allow our kids to walk, ride bikes, skin their knees, fall down. If we wrap them in bubble wrap, they would never learn anything. And so we have to let them take a few risks and we have to help them along. And falling and failure, pain and difficulty is actually, can be a teacher, a good thing. And so this concept rings true to me that if God allows pain in my life, it's not because he is bad, it's because that he understands that something difficult today could lead to my blessing tomorrow. This relates to the second possible truth that God's goodness could be difficult for me today, but it's necessary for a blessing for generations to come. It might, his goodness is not limited to just my lifetime. What he is doing in my life may be difficult, but if I'm faithful today, it may be a blessing for generations to come. We've all heard the story of the missionary that labors for decades on, on a mission field somewhere and they labor and they work and they minister and they give and they, they teach and they literally pour out a lifetime of service and they, there's like one convert and then they pass away and that one convert leads like 17 billion people to the Lord, okay? Not, that's a slight exaggeration, but the point is, they didn't see the full reward. Their labor was difficult and it, they did not see the full reward in their life, but it, it benefited the generations to come. Their faithfulness, their difficulty in their life was God's goodness was not just limited to their experience. Thirdly, 
and this is, again, this is one that I hope is easy for us to understand because we've all done dumb things. But what if it's possible that we do not have complete understanding of what is good and what is ultimate good for me, my family, my friends, the world around me? What if God alone has the idea, the, the understanding of what is ultimate good for me? And if those things are true, and if those things are possible, then it should shape my response. It hopefully will encourage and allow faith to grow. Now, I think it's important to pause here and say that even in difficulty, we need to understand what the Bible actually says faith does for us. Sometimes we have this, again, I'm gonna, we make these poor assumptions. If I have faith, then God is gonna like kind of just smooth the road for me. But I wanna remind you what the scriptures actually promise as a result of faith. And there's, and this probably isn't a complete list, but um, I think it's good for us, us to have this basic understanding. First of all, we know that faith, uh, faith results in, first and foremost in salvation. We don't come to God through our works or through our efforts. We do not have forgiveness or peace with him because we give a bunch of money or our church attendance. It's through faith and salvation and forgiveness and mercy is promised through a simple act of faith. Romans 5 says we have peace with God. Therefore, we have been justified by faith. Romans 10 says that if you just simply confess and believe, trust in your heart that he is God and he has risen from the dead, you will be saved. A simple act of faith results in our salvation, in our forgiveness. The, the second thing that I see that is promised in scripture is the Holy Spirit. Luke says this, he says, if a good father knowing how to give if an evil father, a, 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 an earthly father knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The Holy Spirit is promised to us through faith. If we believe, he will grant us the power, the, the strength, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Wisdom, James uh, says in his writing in chapter one that if we believe, if we trust, if we ask with a heart full of faith, he will give us wisdom, the ability to apply knowledge, to apply truth and to, to make wise decisions. Maybe not perfectly, who here is perfect? I'm not. I make mistakes all the time. But when I pray and ask God for guidance, for wisdom, and especially when it's in areas that I have no idea what to do about, he grants us, he promises that he will grant us wisdom. He also promises spiritual victory. In Ephesians 6, it says that taking up the shield of faith, we will be able to defend, we will be able to quench the, the, the darts of the enemy. When the enemy comes against us, we will be able to fight off the temptation that he brings our way if we use our faith. Now here's what is not promised. That your problems go away when you just believe. In fact, Jesus said this in John 16, it says, in this world, you will have trouble, tribulation, difficulty, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He promises us peace in the midst of pain. He's a pretty big God who can step into our pain and step into our struggle and step into our questions and step into our doubts. He's not afraid of any of that. And he will walk with us through those things. 
I don't know why. I, there's some concepts out there that I think would, hey, it would be a lot easier if he would just take care of this problem and make it go away. <laughs> I don't have the answer to all the why questions, but here's what I do know is that Christ walks with us through our difficulties. He walks with us through our circumstances, our pain, our struggle, the disease, the financial, whatever the circumstance may be, he steps into that place with us. I heard Francis Chan talk about this one time. He said, maybe one of the reasons why we can rejoice in our sufferings is because there is great intimacy with God found when we're in times of trouble. And I've talked to people who are laying in hospital beds, who are undergoing treatment, and they're saying, God has been so close to me. And I would never have wished for whatever I'm going through, but I would not trade the closeness that I have with my savior for anything. I've heard people with terminal illness say that. It makes no sense to me. I'm a pastor, I'm standing there at the the side of their bed and they're almost grateful or thankful for what they're walking through because of the intimacy they have with Christ. That's the kind of God we serve. So who has peace? Who has peace during trouble? I'm gonna ask you to flip back to Hebrews 10. And in verse 19, it says this, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, he died for us, he made a new way, a new covenant. He has provided eternal life to us. It says, since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Again, back then, the, the Jews, the, the, the believers, they had to go through a high priest to receive forgiveness. They had to go to the high priest, take their animals. There was a sacrifice made on their behalf. That was the way that they dealt with their sin. And, and what this new covenant is saying is that you no longer have to do that. Christ is now your high priest. You have direct access to the Father through Jesus Christ. And now that you have access to him directly, draw near. That's the next verse. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean and, an evil, and from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We have been saved. We have been made right. We have been forgiven. And because of that, we are, we're no longer tied to our past. We, the, the, the stuff that, yeah, we've all messed up. We've all, on our, objectively we're guilty. But Christ has said, don't. I've died for that sin. I've died for all of it. And if in a simple act of faith, just trust me, accept me as your savior, accept me, accept me as your Lord. I am now your father. I am now your hyper. Come to me and I will give you rest. If we turn our lives over to him, he said, draw near in confidence. Don't worry about the past, draw near to me. That's the kind of person who has peace in trouble. And then it goes on. Actually, if you drop down to verse 35, it says, do not throw away your confidence, which is a, uh, has a great reward for you have a need of endurance. So the person who endures, the person who has been forgiven, the person who endures, who draws near, 
Verse 39, I like what it says here, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The person who has peace in moments of confusion, in times of struggle, in times of pain, in times of suffering is the person who draws near to the Lord. I'll be, admit, um, there's been times in my Christian walk where I, I, my dad is a pastor. I don't know if um, I've shared that before, but my dad has pastored the same church for like 37 years and still there. And I grew up uh, sitting on the second row, hearing his sermons every single Sunday. And uh, I have a rich um, heritage in my family. Uh, my grandmother was just a wonderful um, Christian lady, she prayed, she was the kind of grandma that prayed for you even when you didn't even need it. You know, she was just praying all the time and, and well, we all need it. But um, the point is, um, I just was so blessed to be able to go to my dad and, and not only hear his teaching, but to ask him questions and to explore my doubts and to explore the, the things of God with him. And so one of the things that I was it was just easy for me from the time I was a kid was just to believe God, trust God. He's got a plan. He's in control. He's supreme. Whatever is going on in the world, it may seem bad, but I believe that he is good. And that was really easy for me to accept. And it still is. And that has its upside. When there's bad things that happen, it's, real, it's, it's pretty easy for me most of the time to, to, to just believe that God has a plan and whatever is going on, he's gonna work it out for good. But sometimes that can result in a disengagement from what God is doing and just kind of sit back and say, well, God, you got this. I'm gonna be over here watching Ohio State get blown out by Michigan. Sorry, I just had to throw that in there. But, um, <laughs> but we can disengage and we can sit back and, and, and God, you got this, you don't need me, you're good. And I don't believe that that's the kind of faith that God has called us to. I believe that he has called us to be engaged and we are called to participate. So let me give you a statement that is there in your notes. And um, I totally stole this from another pastor. And uh, then I changed one word and now it's mine. Okay, so, <clears throat> but Chris Hodges uh, said this, he said, prayer is the difference between the best that I can do and the best God can do. And I changed it to faith is the difference between the best that I can do and the best that God can do. Now here's, here's, what, I'm, here's what I mean by this statement. This, and this is what I think, how we, I think this should impact how we live. I was um, over here in the office and I don't know who it was, but somebody brought in a pumpkin pie. And the thought struck me, um, it, we just came through Thanksgiving. Um, I hope everybody had a good holiday, uh, uh, a nutritious holiday. And, um, but what if, suppose, as I'm eating my third piece of pumpkin pie, that I'm praying, God, please take this pumpkin pie. And when it begins to metabolize in my stomach, change it, take all the sugar and all the fat out and change it to pure vitamins and health and just like no fat. And uh, like, I'm trusting you. I'm just putting my faith in you that um, whatever um, I'm taking in, you're gonna work it out for good, okay? So like, so I'm not going to change my diet. I'm not going to do anything healthy. I'm just gonna trust you to, you know. 
Um, another thing, like, and we kind of laugh about that, but like, what, how foolish would it be for me to be like, God, I really want you to bless in my finances. Please help me to make good financial decisions. But then I'm like just stacking the credit cards on top of one another and I'm living outside of my means. God, take my money, multiply it, use it for your glory, but I'm just kind of like just dracking up the debt. That wouldn't make sense. You know, and we could go into other areas like, you know, when we make poor choices and expect and, and just say, God, well, you should do something in spite of my lack of engagement. That's not engaged faith. That's not drawing near. When we draw near to God, it's saying, God, here is my life. I'm orienting, I'm putting it under your authority. Orient my heart to make the decisions that you are calling me to make. And that's really what this statement is about is, there are things that we know we ought to do that are right in front of us. There's a next step. We know we should uh, eat better or, or budget better or be more disciplined in certain areas. There's parenting responsibilities. There's work responsibilities. There's opportunities to educate and grow our knowledge and, and to hone our skills and to develop and, and become healthier and stronger. Those things are right in front of us and they're different for all of us. There's things that we know we should do, but then there's a point where our, our, we're limited. And faith says, God, you're gonna make up the difference. I trust you. I trust you to make up the difference, but he's calling us to engage. He's calling us to draw near. He's calling us to take a step. It doesn't have to be a big step. You can't climb the mountain in just a few strides. I learned that a, a, a few weeks ago. I went hunting with some guys from our church a few weeks ago and, and to, to climb those mountains, it was difficult. I was not prepared like I should have been. And going downhill the first time my legs started cramping, I was like, yep, Ryan's gonna have to carry me off the mountain. Like we're two miles back and he's just gonna have to do it. And I'm not saying it's, it's easy, but I, what I am saying is that God has called us to engage. God has called us to draw near. He, he has given us some responsibility, not to earn his favor, not to earn blessing, not to earn the reward, but to participate with him. In fact, um, one of the best ways that we can exercise our faith is through prayer. I think it was Daniel Henderson that said this. He's been to our church. I think Keith has even said this before. He said this, a lack of prayer is a declaration of independence from God. I do not wanna live a life independent from God. And that's sometimes when we say, God, you're in control. I'll be over here. In some sense, that is a separation. That is saying, God, I don't need you. I'll just do what I want and you kind of do what you want. I don't wanna live like that. An engaged faith is a faith that says, okay, I'm gonna be dependent. I'm going to be a participant with God in what he is doing. Let me just give you a couple things about prayer though. And these are not in your notes. This is kind of a sidebar, but here's what prayer does. Prayer puts my unknown future in the hands of an all-knowing God. I, I, I talked a little bit about, like, we don't know what's gonna happen, but God does. He's in control. And so I'm Prayer is a way for me to tangibly just place my future. God, I don't know what's gonna happen, but here's my future. I trust you with it. Uh, secondly, prayer puts my hopeless situation in the hands of an all-powerful God. God, I don't know what to do about the circumstance. I have a vehicle right now. It's been in the shop like nine days. 
like total, and it's got an electrical issue, and I don't know what to do about it. I'm not a mechanic, I can't fix my own stuff. I've watched some YouTube videos, I've read some forums, I've called some shops, and I don't know what to do about it. And then God was like, you can get up on Sunday and tell like a thousand people that you have a car problem and there'll be somebody out there that will come and help. No, I'm just kidding, okay, so. <laughs> but the point is, there's some of you out there that you can do more than me. You, you can look at a situation with your vehicle or whatever, and you're like, well, I can do that. But then there's other people, I can't do anything about it. And so I'm like, God, you're gonna have to help me. You're gonna have to do something. Show me where to go or somebody after church come up and tell me like what to do. <laughs> but, the, but the point is like, we may have hopelessness we may have a diagnosis, we may have a, a financial circumstance and we do not know what to do, but I'm gonna, through prayer, I'm gonna place my situation in the hands of an all-powerful God. Thirdly, I'm gonna put my broken life in the hands of an all-forgiving God. Amen. If you're here today and you're struggling with sin or brokenness and you don't, you're, you're at the end of your rope, you can place your life in the hands of an all-loving, all forgiving God. I want to remind you of that. So in closing, how do we build our faith? Because um, we're talking about, you know, faith is, you know, defined there for us in the top of the chapter, chapter 11, talks about it being the evidence of things not yet seen, the confidence of things hoped for. But a lot of times it's kind of like, it's kind of hard to, this concept of faith is like, what is it? How do I actually engage my faith? How do I actually put my faith into action? What helps me is the simple word of trust. Trust is something, as a concept easier for me to get my mind around. And so trusting in God, how do I build my trust in a God who promises to be a good father and to walk with me. So how do I do that? First of all, I think something we should be doing as Christians, this is a non-negotiable. If we want to build our faith, we need to be in the word of God. We need to be in the word of God. Romans 10, 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How do we build our faith? How, do we want, how does our trust and, and belief and, and God's goodness grow? It needs to come, it needs to be rooted in the word of God. Sometimes I'll talk to people, young people mostly, and they're like, man, I just have these doubts. I have moments of confusion. I'm not sure. Well, how much are you reading the Bible? How much are you reading God's word? Is it a regular part of your life? I mentioned I went hunting a few weeks ago and you know, there were some things that I, I carried in a backpack and I hiked up that mountain and I don't know how much weight was in there, but by the time I got to the top, it felt like a hundred pounds. And I began to evaluate what I was carrying, okay? And I was like, I don't need this, I don't need this, I don't need this. Ryan's probably carrying that, so I don't need this. You know, like let him carry something important. But you know what I did not give up? I did not give up my navigation. We're using an app on our phone. I did not just like chuck my phone and be like, yeah, I don't need this, this is too heavy. No, I kept that because that was gonna tell me where to go. The other thing I didn't give up was my nutrition. I had jerky, cliff bars, snacks, all that kind of stuff, water. I didn't give any, I never considered just leaving my water bottle on the side of the mountain and be like, yeah, I don't need that. 
sometimes as Christians, I think that we go through life and we, the, the most essential thing, that what is spiritual nutrition, what is spiritual navigation, we leave it to the side. Like, I don't need that. When it's the most crucial thing that we have. Be in the word of God. It is that necessary. Faith builds when we determine not to give up. Continue my hunting illustration here. Like there were times when we got back into two or three miles and we were up high and there was no like, yeah, I give up. I'm just gonna sit here. Um, Ryan, uh, see you in a couple weeks, come back and check on me. Or there was no like, hey, can you carry me down? Like there was no, like he's 6'8", but he was, I don't know if that would have been a little unfair, right? You reach a point where you're like, I, I gotta keep moving. There's no other option. And even though in my mind was like, you cannot keep going somehow, like when you're like, you just keep putting one foot in front of the other, you're, it was surprising to me how, now don't get me wrong, Jagger, an 11 year old, he out hiked me, trust me. Like I didn't do great, but the point is your mindset matters. If you determine today that you're not gonna give up tomorrow, that is a big deal. If you have the right mindset, that you're gonna exercise your faith. In fact, that song, I, don't, I think it was the uh, uh, Casting Crowns, they said, I will praise you in this storm. Is that right? I will praise you in this storm. Abraham's faith, it says in Romans, it says that his faith grew as he gave glory to God. Sometimes we don't feel like praising God. Sometimes we don't feel like taking our next step. Sometimes we don't feel like getting out of bed. But when we determine not to give up, when we determine to continue, our faith will grow. It's almost like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. The more you put your faith into action, the more you engage, the easier it will, it will, it will become. And finally, I would say faith we need to remember that faith breaks through the natural into the supernatural. The work of God in our life is often hard to explain. What he calls us to sometimes doesn't make sense to the outside world or even to us. But Jesus reminds us in Matthew 19, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So what does faith do? Quickly in closing, what does faith do? Faith should give us an eternal perspective. When we trust God, we don't just look at the here and now, we look to what is to come. We look to the eternal. God may not fix my problems today, but I believe that they will be fixed in eternity. An eternal perspective should reorder the priorities I have for tomorrow. So when we think long-term, when we think eternally, it should change our priorities. They should become more and more aligned with God. As he grants us wisdom, as he grants us guidance, we become more and more in tune with his priorities. And we submit and we say, what used to be important to me then is not as important to me because this is taking precedent. This is taking its place. And when we have an eternal perspective, it reorients our priorities. And when our priorities are changed, it should impact our actions for today. What we do today should be different because of our long-term view of tomorrow. And here's what I'll finally say. My feelings should follow my faith. My feelings should follow my faith. So oftentimes it's our feelings that determine our faith and the level of our trust. 
But I want to challenge you to flip that. Let your faith lead your feelings. Let your faith lead your feelings. Let your trust in a good God. There may be some things in your life that do not make sense that you wish were different and you're struggling with and there's doubts, but I'm gonna challenge you to trust in the midst of it, to trust God in the midst of it and allow your feelings to follow your faith. But what if my actions fall short? What if I don't perform like God has called me to? What if I fail? Well, there's grace. This is sort of a win-win-win deal. If you follow God, he is a good father who loves to give good gifts to his children. He is a good God. So you may experience blessing. He's a God that is with you in trouble. So good times, bad times, still a win. And even when we don't perform up to his standard, he's saying there's grace. There's really not a lot of downside here. Yeah, there's some pain. Yeah, there's some difficulty. But in the end, we win. In fact, he says this in 1 John, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. He stands in our place. When we deserve punishment, he is the one who takes it on himself. And not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And this is really what it comes down to. If you're here today, here's, and you do not have the peace in the midst of your life that I've been talking about, if you do not have the peace that comes through faith in Christ, it can be yours today. The Bible promises that you don't have to earn it. It's simply through a heartfelt prayer, acknowledging your sin and asking Christ for his forgiveness. He died. He shed his blood for your sins and he shed his blood for the sins in the entire world and includes every single person here. There's just one catch and you might even call this bad news. Because he died for you, you've gotta die for him. You've gotta die, not physically, but you've gotta die to your desires. You've gotta die to your appetites, your, your passions. You may even say, I have to die I have to give up my identity and take on a new identity that Christ wants to give me. But even then, that is ultimate reward because what we ultimately gain, yeah, confession, repentance, I admit it's not fun, it's painful. Walking that road isn't always easy. But there again, the reward on the other side is greater. And it's not earned, it's just through simple act of faith and it can be yours today. I believe that um, as people of faith that the world will be watching us. It, people will see something in us that they truly long for. I hope that this has somehow encouraged you to, to engage with God. To, to not just sit on the sidelines, to say, I want to participate with you. I wanna draw near to you in confidence. 
And, Lord, and as we do that, I believe that we're gonna be uh, a light in a dark world as Keith talked about in Micah. Uh, we're gonna be a light of Christ that shines in a dark world and we're gonna be part of his, his plan. Let's stand, let's be dismissed. Thank you so much for your kind attention. If you would like to talk to someone, I'll be down front or Keith or in the back. And if you have questions, please let us know. We'd love to help you. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness, your kindness to us. Lord, I thank you that you're a good father, even in the midst of our circumstances. Lord, um, that are difficult, that are sometimes painful, but Lord, help us to not just trust you blindly, but help us to draw near to you. Lord, you will be with us. I'm confident of that. Lord, there may be times we don't see the answer or hear the answer, but Lord, help us to trust you and to have an eternal perspective looking for what is to come. Lord, um, Lord, I don't wanna have just a, a lazy faith, a blind faith, but engage faith. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to know what that looks like. Show us what we are to do next. Lord, we trust you with our futures. Help us to do that. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I'm gonna let you go, but before I do, remember tradition, Christmas traditions, Saturday, December 3rd, four o'clock. If you have more questions about that, please let us know at the Next Steps wall and uh, maybe check us out online. And if you have other details that you need, we'll, we'll get those to you. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your Sunday.